Thanks for joining me today on another episode of The Big Chat with me, George Hughes. In this podcast, we look at how brands, businesses, and individuals can get an edge in today's digital world. If you don't know me, I'm the founder and creative director of Small Films, a video marketing agency in London. We work with brands to bring their products to life with video. Today, I'm joined by sales legend and business coach, Richard Moore. He has over 16 years sales experience and works with clients from startups to nine-figure businesses, helping them to nail their sales strategy. He's been featured in Forbes, Influensive, and Huffington Post, to name just a few. And he's also founded the incredible Entrepreneur Business Live event, which is hosted here in London and around the world, bringing together business owners, creatives, and influencers to collaborate and learn. He was kind enough to invite me to talk at one of these events in London last year. Richard is also a LinkedIn social selling expert and has finely tuned his skills using this platform. So if you want to know more about sales, then stay tuned. Richard Moore. Thank you for coming down to talk to me today. Thank you. It's an honour. It's nice to join you in the heat. I know. It's a bit <laughs> of a scorcher today, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Now, I'm really excited to talk to you, uh, particularly from my own selfish perspective, because um, I'm, I'm very interested in sales, and that is something that all business owners struggle with, I think. Um, but, you know, your background is you've got 16 plus years of experience in sales and, and business development. Um, you are a bit of a, a bit of a LinkedIn guru, uh, sales expert, sales coach, and entrepreneur. Yes. Are you also a Taekwondo master? Not a master. That's seventh dan, but I managed to get to fourth. So um, uh, I had two Taekwondo academies until last year when I closed them down, sadly, because I'm running out of space for th- you know to do other things each day. Wow. So I mean. I think you're sort of underplaying it there. So for Dan is, you're already black belt. That's just... Yeah, uh, it's been 20, getting, 20 getting, years you know, of it. Yeah, wow. it was a lot. Um, so uh, it was very much part of my life a long time and uh, yeah. kept me fit and healthy whilst I was uh, in my 20s. But um, yeah. yeah, I've got children to do that now instead. Well, I, I did a bit of Taekwondo back in the day and I never even got past the first belt. So oh, no. uh, okay. <laughs> it's a bit sad really, isn't it? Oh no, okay, fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was a great thing to do. Uh, I miss it a bit actually. But, yeah. Um, yeah you can do, do you still that. actually practice it? You know, no, not at all, no. actually. It's one of those things where you do a lot of something. You just want to kind of, uh, I just want to park it. And so I did a lot. I, I achieved all the things I wanted to do. But also I, um, you know, I took people from white to black belt in yeah. my own school. So that kind of meant a lot. That's fantastic. And, you know, they meddled and things. So that was a really good achievement. But it was just yeah. time to move on to new things. Yeah. Do you think that was one, the, sort of the start of your helping people to grow and mature and, and become the person they want to be that's, that's journey. Really, yeah, it's just really good because you've nailed the thread instantly. The thing that's always kind of fed through what I do is is the kind of the, t- the teaching thing. And um, it was originally actually the, 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 the sales manager roles I had. So I was coaching people in how to actually sell on my team. But yeah, within, I think, I think it was mid late 2000s, I started teaching in London. And, um, and then of course my events now are about teaching people who, who are business owners and things like that. So it's always that kind of giving value uh, thing that I've been using, I suppose, as leverage as well in my own business. Are there certain parallels you can draw between the way that someone progresses through the belts 
in the same way that someone progresses through their sort of business journey. Absolutely, or... yeah. If you think about the kind of the symbolism in the belts, it, it represents things like the physical first and learning what the moves are. Then there's the mind and controlling it, and then it's getting seriously dangerous with it after a while. And it's the same. We kind of stumble and get it wrong, and it kind of you try and copy what you think it is meant to look like on social, for example, and it doesn't work. Um, then you realise that a little bit of finesse and a little bit of craft is needed and then you end up, again, getting kind of dangerous with it. So it's exciting. Yeah, yeah it's a really good that's parallel. Really, that's really cool. Yeah. I have to ask, before we move on from the Taekwondo thing, because I've always wondered this. Yes. How does it feel when you walk on the street and you just kind of know <laughs> that if someone, you know, tries to mug you or whatever, you're probably going to be able to sort them out? You're the millionth person to ask that. <laughs> so, because um, everyone's like, oh, what would it be like if you have a fight? The thing about it is that Imagine if something like that happened. You have to be very restrained, ironically, because obviously if you end up in court, it's like, oh, you're National European medalist and a fourth degree black belt instructor, so we're going to come down even harder on you if you did something nasty to someone. So the, the thing is that it's, yes, to answer your question, it's nice to know that I can probably look after myself, but at the same time, you don't ever use it. That's the irony of it all. You've Fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Having lethal weapons. Yeah, know, as long as people know it, but yeah. you just don't want to do anything exactly, with it. Yeah. Exactly. You might have to wear one like a badge just to say, don't mess with me. Yeah, just walk around. The thing is, if you walk around in your dobok, you're asking for fights. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. That's the thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So how did you go from there to where you are today? So you... you you left Taekwondo, was it, was it something with, you know, doing something alongside that or? Yeah, so um, I did it when I was at university. Um, it was a kind of a weird trajectory I've taken, I suppose. So I did it at university and then when I came to London, my job was, was uh, selling uh, internet marketing back in 2002, I think it was. And um, so I was training then and it kind of ran parallel as a hobby. And then my instructor said, you know, why don't you take on the Wembley School? So I was coaching there. Um, and then when I exited corporate in like 2011, I think it was, I, um, I was doing consulting, but I thought, well, why don't I just wanted to, to stop it all completely. I was working up to like 80 hour weeks some weeks. It was disgusting. And I just wanted to break. So I thought, why don't I just build a Taekwondo Academy? I know I can sell and market. That's not difficult. So let's do that. And I was going to have the Taekwondo thing as the main business and then a bit of consulting in the side, um, but it completely flipped straight away. So then running the Taekwondo schools became a real hobby. And so in the evenings, it was basically a nice way of hanging out, continuing Taekwondo, but um, you know, getting paid for it as well. Yeah, that's nice. So that was, that was a little bit of a jump forward. What, what happened? So, so you were working in the city in a sort of corporate role, and, yeah. you know, basically sales? <clears throat> yeah, so um, I, I did two degrees, both in history, and, and basically I tried to get funding for my... Classic entry into I mean, it's standard, right? Position. They're like yeah. accountancy, law, and selling stuff. Ironically, I did history and Spanish at university. Oh, did you? There you go. I became Good stuff. like a, a, you know, a TV director yeah. and video guy. So it's weird. It takes you anywhere. Um, but I, I couldn't get funding for the PhD, so I had to get a job because I had other people's money to pay back. And um, so I took just the first job interview that I had, uh, which was um, this company called Net Resources International and they started in 1996. This is Amazon and Google starting then. And um, some bright spark thought, why don't we make a directory for heavy industries like oil and gas? So if, rather than yellow pages, people can look stuff up there, but we'll do it online. And there's this fateful moment when I walked in on the first day where they drew a line down the middle of the room. There were 17 of us who all joined, I remember well, because they joined like, every two weeks, a load of new people. And they said, um, 
right, this half of the room, you're going to sell adverts in print publications, which is like saying, so you're about to lose, like your career's dead now. <laughs> and, and, then, and then this half of the room, which I was in, you're going to sell our website adverts and, and profiles right, and things like that. Yeah. So I did that. And so very much it was, it was getting on the phone, cold calling, managing directors and, and getting them to part with a few thousand quid for a profile on these websites. And then within, you know, the usual, like within a, a 18 months, two years, I, I did really well. They gave me a team and I launched new products with them. Um, and I did that for a few years. And then I went to work in events. So I was head of sales for the events part of their business. And they were growing all the time, being acquired and being, being other parts of uh, other businesses as well. Um, then I moved on um, and became a sales director at a headhunting company. So I worked in the recruitment side. And that was where I really started putting a lot into the company because there were four of us running it and we had to build this thing out and you know if you don't close stuff you can't keep the lights on at the end of the month so it's right. really focused on on closing deals but um that just was too much it was too much um it was too much emotional um uh, what's the word it was using too much of my emotional bandwidth yeah i just had a baby born it was like this isn't this isn't like where I need my life to be going. I was like grey skin, yellow eyes. I need a break from it. So um, I pushed it too much. I was doing it for like a year or so. So I needed that time out, and that's where I'd already started a bit of kind of random offline consulting here and there, helping people with their sales. And I thought there's something in it. And I just knew when I left to start my own business that um, the one thing I could do was close stuff and make money. So I wasn't worried about that, but it was more a case of what do I do? And that's where the taekwondo thing was, well, why don't we try that, you know? So that's kind of what got me there. And then since then, it's crazy. It's been like eight years. It's amazing how fast it goes. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, when you say, oh, it's 2011, I was like, oh, that's just around the... Yes, I know, that's that crazy. the other day. Yeah. You know, I, can I can remember exactly what I was doing in 2011. Exactly, it goes really fast. Ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's, um, it's, it's been rapid. So it's interesting because I wasn't, in any way, I had no social footprint at all online. And um, so I was doing the Taekwondo thing and, and probably, you know, after a couple of years or so, I thought, Let, let's just try some online in consulting because that that's, gives me better margins. And uh, yeah, so I kind of dabbled with it with Facebook and things. And it's really nice because I've kind of grown up with the internet. As a teenager, it was the first ever website. And then in my first jobs, I was selling it and learning about what people, what was working in marketing, search engines, stuff like that. But then um, in the last five years or so, where social selling's really taken off and content marketing's taken off, I've kind of, it's been really nice to be there as that's grown and, and be, be on the front line of it. Yeah, like kind of, bleeding yeah. edge. And, I, and, and that's really helpful because I, you know, rather than, you can't read books on this stuff, you know, because they haven't been written yet. You have to, you have to be on the, in the trenches doing yeah. it really. So it's been an exciting place to be. Yeah. And, and the truth is, yeah, it, it's hard to read books about it. It's hard to meet people who are an authority on it because everybody's still learning. Yeah. It's all kind of. And things keep changing so quickly. They change. You're up, so right. And that's the problem with the book uh, is that is that it's wrong three months later because yeah. an algorithm changes or the way a platform yeah. works or just culture. People aren't interested in Snapchat maybe quite as much as they were before. And, and you know, a certain age group isn't interested in Facebook because their parents are there now and yeah. things like that. So it's interesting how that changes. Yeah, yeah fascinating, isn't mm. it? So, so you, you came from from this background of you know you're you're basically sales 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 you're you're doing the the real hard stuff which is mm. the cold calling the trying to close mm. you know the things that some people it makes them shudder when Absolutely. they think about that yeah. you know it's kind of scary. Mm. Um, how did you 
how did you sort of go from that to, you know, now you're, explain sort of what you're up to now. You're, you're basically, you're consulting with businesses, you're consulting with people to help them yeah. to get their sales sorted, right? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I learned from being in the deep end through selling a product that people weren't necessarily thinking of or wanting to buy and cold calling people where they didn't know who we were. So you're kind of unwanted. And I, I was only successful, I think, because I learned obviously perseverance and tenacity, but more it was about getting empathy and understanding the person at the end of the phone and getting deeper in the psychology. And, and I'm a massive nerd, so within a few months, I was buying books on selling and what psychologically is going on in heads and things like that. And so what, how that's translated to now is that the, the sales training I tend to do is focusing on just understanding the mechanics behind what's going on in the guy's head and why they might not want to buy and how you can work against that. And that is so interesting now because the cold call style selling is still relevant and it works for many companies. A lot of corporates I work with still use it. And so I help them with those, those techniques to make sure you don't sound, you know, irritating. Yeah. But it's 2019 and social selling is a longer play and it's a softer play, but it's far more effective because the end result is people say, I'd like to buy your product rather than who are you? And that's, yeah. a, nice, that's a nice start point, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, um, yeah, I, it's interesting that you say that about the cold calling. There is still no replacement for getting on the phone, having a conversation with somebody, but we, uh, you know, the generation now, the younger generation aren't used to that sort of phone dialogue in the same way it's like, you know, someone who's in their sort of maybe like late 30s, 40s, 50s might be. And they don't use phones. Yes, as well. It's That's all the about, thing, yeah. yeah. I mean, the last call I made, actual call using a phone where I didn't see the person, was a WhatsApp call to China. I've got a guy who's out there from Warwick Uni actually randomly, and he was just like, Let's do a WhatsApp call because what, who, who dials numbers anymore? Yeah. And that's the problem is that anyone a little bit older than 15 is conditioned now that when the landline rings, well, that's obviously a spam call. Just don't answer it. So true. Or your granddad, you know, otherwise you just don't answer. So we're kind of conditioned differently. And I think that's why cold calling is an art if it's going to be successful or it's a potentially big waste of time. Yeah. But here's the caveat is that it's very necessary when you are just starting out in the same way as approaching people cold online is because it's all very clever to do content marketing plays but you know you need runway for that which means cash and hold your breath for a couple of months whereas you know you can make money in that same day by by getting it right in a cold yeah. approach can't you so you kind of need both don't you as a I suppose that's the reality is you know you you if you say um, I'm just starting out. I'm going to get a list of you know 100 people, 100 phone numbers, and I'm going to call 100 people. Yeah. You will get something from you that do instantly. You know, you will get a sale. Like, yeah, that's how I started. 2015 on Facebook. Like, this is how I started social selling. So I had a rule, which was every day I start 20 new conversations. So I would go to a group where there are startups or like a Facebook group, find 20 people who are writing stuff and active. And just say, hi, how's it going? And start the conversation. So like 20 games of chess every day. And of the 20, maybe four or five would show an interest. And I would just warm them up. And then you're converting them into phone calls. And then you do your sales that way. And, and just that was a volume approach. And that was the way to make money in the early, the early days when you need it. You know? Yeah. I suppose there's a fundamental difference between a cold lead and a warm lead. Mm. It's, you know, you've warmed them up on social media to the point where they are... They know who you are. Yeah. They know what you're all about. You know a bit about them. Yeah. You've, you've 
proved yourself, yeah. you know, the social proof there, and then yeah. you're just having that conversation. At some point, you actually physically have to talk. So. But, but that's why nowadays, and it's, it's crazy to not use it because we've got all the tools here in front of us that you, if social selling done right is uh, glorious because you get to indulge in, in sharing what you're all about and people come to you. So, so the last two sales I've done, uh, one on Monday and one this morning actually, are both people who have come in my direction because the content serves as gravity. And then when they like it and I engage with them, they orbit around me and I just target them with more great content. And then they, they, they get to know you, there's the familiarity and of course then there's the trust and so they wanna listen. Makes a big, big difference, doesn't it? So for somebody that doesn't, hasn't heard that term social selling, mm. how, would you, how would you describe that? I think in a nutshell, what, what it's kind of a, a slightly synonymous with, um, with content marketing, but essentially what you're saying is you're using social media to sell and it can, in my head, it, it, it incorporates going out and finding people and warming them up in the DMs and closing them all the way through to the content play, which is here's some great content and you're leveraging a very powerful thing there, which is human curiosity. If someone's keen on your content, then they naturally are gonna be keen on you. And it doesn't matter, for instance, on LinkedIn that people think you're an idiot because there's 600 million people there. So some will think you're great and then they see you again and oh wow, you validated them checking you out because you wrote them a comment. And, um, and then you end up with people just liking your stuff and showing up every week and they're selling themselves. That's the thing. And that's good because it means they feel comfortable and you don't feel like an idiot selling them and, yeah. and everyone's winning that way. Yeah. And I think that's just the way it should be. So that's where social selling should be in my opinion. Definitely like a little bit less demoralizing than uh, working through a, a, a list of numbers and just calling, calling, it, calling. It is, but you've got to be patient because it might be you have days where everyone's, everyone's taking and no one's giving and everyone's like, oh, I love this post. He's like, so buy something then, but they don't. And yeah. for every hundred comments that you get from people, there are 10,000 views. It's like, what about the rest of you? you know? So you have to be patient and cool with the fact that it's a very long play. Yeah. It's about broadcasting yourself in general, you know. And do you have do you have a, a, a standard sort of funnel that you're funneling people down through? Or do you have sort of content that kind of gets them engaged and then you push them into sort of like different small transactions, big transactions? What sort of how's it work? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I'm I'm mindful that uh, that you can have certain funnels. So for example, the Facebook ads team uses certain content that gets broadcasted cold to people's phones on a Facebook ad targeting campaign, and that will funnel them into a different bit of content than a particular landing page and so on. So that's very formulaic. But in terms of my social selling with my content, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that, that there are people of all walks of life with different agendas. So you have to approach them in different ways. And some people don't wanna watch a video. Some people wanna watch a read long form some people want to get to know the person, so they'll spend more time with your Instagram stories and other people will want to show up for the how-to post. Here's seven reasons why you should close people in this particular way. And so it's not about being all things to all people, but spreading yourself across different ways in which you could be consumed is a really good way of, of making sure that you capture people in different kind of walks of yeah. life each day and or the same people are seeing you in different ways as well. So it kind of reinforces your, your philosophy to them. That makes sense. And also I think it, it's partly down to where are those people hanging out? Because people use different platforms. You know, yeah. some people 
you know, someone in their thirties is quite likely to be on Facebook because they were the, you know, the generation that yeah. started off Facebook. That's right. You know, maybe someone who's slightly younger would be more into Instagram. Mm-hmm. Then maybe someone who's a bit older might definitely be into LinkedIn. And then yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of it's knowing yeah. where they're going to be. I guess. I think this is the thing: is is that um, it's not. It's, it's wrong to say it's been peddled, but it's been suggested in in the last few years that. Um, different people are going to be on different platforms. And I think the better way of looking at it or more evolved way to look at it is the same people are are on mostly all the platforms, apart from perhaps, you know, TikTok compared with LinkedIn. But in the main, the same people you're going to sell to are on them. It's just they're there in a different guise. So you've got a lawyer on LinkedIn, but it's David, the parent of two on Facebook. And so What's, what I'm finding nowadays, and again, this is just how it's evolving, is that people consume you on one, and that's your entry point, and then they migrate themselves over elsewhere. So, for instance, my Facebook group, every day, some of the applicants to come into the group will write, where, you know, where did you find, where did you hear about the group? They'll say, I found you through Richard's profile on LinkedIn. You know? yeah. So they've kind of migrated themselves over or from Instagram and, yeah. and so on. Yeah. So it's this ecosystem. Yeah. And if they're Instagram-y kind of people, but found you on LinkedIn, they'll probably then sit there a bit more. Yeah. And it becomes complex because when you're engaging, because the game isn't content, the game is the community work and the engagement underneath the bonnet. And it's hard because it's like, well, this person engages on WhatsApp. This guy uses Telegram and that one uses Instagram. So when you want to connect with someone or speak to them, when you know them after a little while, you kind of, especially influencers, yeah. you can't get through to them on certain channels because it's too busy. Yeah, oh, so interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. So, so there's one, one really big influencer I know um, who is, uh, she's over in, she's just moved to San Francisco and she's speaking at my San Francisco event later this year. Um, she's like 21, 22. She's, I think, one of the most followed um, students on uh, LinkedIn, okay. like half a million followers. Wow. And um, so you can't reach her on LinkedIn, ironically, because her inbox is completely she crammed. too much coming yeah. in there, yeah. But on Instagram, she's quiet. So that's where you do your DMing. And, and so that's where, you know, it's just knowing this stuff is really hard work. But you can probably appreciate all this suggests you have to spend time on the pitch. That's right. And I think cumulatively, it's about an hour and a half a day that's spent, you know, engaging on the platforms with people like individuals just yeah. keeping those plates spinning really. it's a lot isn't it it's a mm. lot to, to commit to yeah but yeah but that's that's if you want the results that's it or you better hope you happen to fluke virality which yeah. is quite hard to do that's very difficult to do mm-hmm. yeah almost impossible it is um, i think the hack on virality is knowing people who are really really strong and algorithmically speaking if if someone with a lot of clout and network likes your thing and engages with it well then then of course that bodes well and the platform gives a lot more literally my a post last night i'd put out on linkedin um one of my friends who's destroying linkedin at the moment who has eight times the followers i have um within three minutes she like commented on it and so it you can refresh it and there's like another hundred views every minute it's insane it's just going crazy and and like some of the biggest posts ever so i've had some that have gone like quarter of a million views which isn't viral viral but it's pretty it's pretty, vi- pretty decent enough, let's be honest yeah and, and like, the amount you'd have to pay to get that many views exactly like, so that's all organic and, and that's because i know someone who happened to check it out she's online at that moment she has two million followers and yeah and so it was just astronomical and i remember with that one i said to my wife this post is about to go viral and it'd been on five minutes because viral is is 
in that sense was just lots of people were engaging yeah. with it. But it's only because that individual saw it. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, no, that that's why really... I think that's where you can practically go viral. Yeah. If you know Justin Bieber, just tell him to like your yes, post. Yes, exactly. That's, yeah, how it that's works. all you need. That's yeah. all you need. It's interesting about you know the way you're using all the different platforms because I think a lot of people see it quite a binary way where they say, oh, you know. Well, Facebook and Instagram's for B2C companies because that's where all the public hang out. And, you know, we have a product, we sell it on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. LinkedIn and Twitter's for B2B because that's where all of our customers hang out. But whereas what you're saying is that, no, that's not the case. They, they're there in a different capacity. Mm-hmm. If someone's on Facebook, yeah, they're, they're the father of two, not yep. the lawyer from LinkedIn. But they're still there and they're still willing to consume and, and exactly. engage and everything If you else. look at the core of the reasons why someone will buy something, sitting atop of all the flashy talk and all of the wonderful benefits is the singular thing of trust and trust stems from familiarity the fact that we have met each other and having a chat means of all of the what do you think there's more than a handful of production companies in east london right yes more than, <laughs> more than a couple so, well they're next door right yeah. so the reality is i'm more likely suggest to suggest you lot than someone else purely because of familiarity that's that's whether or not that should be the case doesn't matter. That's what humans do. So trust is that kind of center point. And it's fundamentally wrong to think that binary. You're right. Because what you should be doing is saying, fine, if one is B2B, so that should be reflected in the style of content. But then a B2B to C or, or someone who's chilling with a glass of wine at the end of their week, you know, what are they going to be viewing and what are they going to be consuming? So I'll give the sales tips on LinkedIn because when someone is in a work mode and they're just having a, a breather before lunch in their suit in their office and they're there, you know, they're their head of sales, they'll check out their video. But but they'll follow me on LinkedIn on, on, on Instagram and because the stories are giving them a flavour of Richard Moore, mm-hmm. which is just as essential as proving I know what I'm talking about through the value stuff, because they need to like me. No amount of being amazing at what you do matters if you're an idiot. So if they buy into me on, on the social side as well, in terms of things like IG stories, that matters. So what it is, is the flavor in terms of the content you put out. It's, it's, it's hilarious because people will just repurpose. So, oh, I've done the video for LinkedIn. I need to make it square now, right, for Instagram. Bit, a bit more consideration than that's needed. Yeah. So there'll be a lot of video that makes it to LinkedIn that never makes it to Facebook for me, for instance, because it's not going to resonate with someone's state of mind. Mm-hmm. That's a broad generalization yeah. but it's the best yeah. we play at the moment i think it's also interesting to think that that particularly with instagram stories you can you can put out stuff that is quite rough and ready yeah because it's just grab your phone off you go mm. don't worry about it too much because it's only up there for 24 hours yeah. you put something up on linkedin it's it's going to be seen by you know potential customers yeah. it's it's not a it's not a personal social platform mm. in the same way that Instagram is. It's it not, depends who you you're know. targeting because you're Gen Z. Yeah. It's not Gen Alpha yet, but Gen Z are on LinkedIn now. And so I, I was speaking to a guy, Sam, uh, from um, uh, actually Milwaukee as well the other day, and he, he's like 20, and he's running his video agency. He's got the kit, he's got the gigs, so he might as well do it. And he is very you know, emotionally aware and he talks about self-awareness and all those kind of things that that generation talks about because he's not speaking so much to a certain group of people amongst the 600 plus million. He's speaking to people like him who are also starting a business, have a bit of cash, but don't have the video production quality. So it kind of can work, but in the main, you're right. And 
I think the interesting thing is if you intersperse the rough and ready Instagram stories with a bit of quality, you're just reminding people that you're up there as well. So, so all of my events, I'll have a professional photographer and it allows me to kind of throw some, you know, polished stuff in, in there as well. Because of course, then you need someone to pay attention and, and decide to do a call to action and actually buy something maybe. So, yeah. but in the main, people want to just kind of see that you're an all right person and yeah. relate to you. It's yeah. properly social there. Yeah, social. I definitely think that's true. I, I will say to people that when you're creating any kind of content, you really, it's very, very important to think about who your audience is. Because like you say, say this video um, guy in Milwaukee, yeah. who's maybe a bit younger and maybe his demographic or is a younger audience, maybe they're little startups setting up. Mm. They re- the stuff he says is going to resonate with them. Mm-hmm. It's not going to necessarily resonate with a 50-year-old head of marketing yeah. of a big brand. Yeah. Or maybe it will, who knows? But you know, yeah. it's just kind of trying to un- understand who is it I'm trying to speak to here yeah. and, and knowing who it, who what's going to resonate Well, this with is them. the very thing we spoke about with him. Is naturally, his peers will be impressed with him. Yeah. So he's got them in a, way, a little easier. Those that are more senior need warming up more. They won't necessarily buy in. They'll roll their eyes, in fact, at the you've just got to be yourself and trust yourself kind of videos. But that's what that's his style. It's cool. And what happens is over time, there's enough social proof through the fact he gets 20,000 views on a post within five hours and massive engagement. And he's talking about, you know, he's doing an interview with the next guy he's got a gig with that proves he's actually the real deal. And that's what the, the beautiful, I don't know if I've coined this term, but the best way to describe it is that that's how senior people start to get blind to his age. Right. And they start seeing the results instead. Mm-hmm. Because they're people. They see, they're like, oh, young guy. Well, he hasn't got a clue, does he? Has he? Which is wrong, but it's just how people are. But after a while, it's like he keeps showing up. He clearly is polished. He must be doing really well. And then, of course, the curiosity takes over and they start checking him out and then, then it's deals. It's amazing. And there's also that, that self-awareness amongst a, a, an older sort of generation where they say, well, he is speaking to the people we want to speak to and we are a bit out of touch and yep. I don't really understand all these things and yeah. he seems to understand that. So Yeah, and I think, I think that is, is the, like, if you've got your finger on the pulse of where good marketing and good spend is at the moment, it's literally that. It's where can people get attention? Or, or more specifically, I think even better than that, where can people get engagement right now? And if that person can get engagement from a particular demographic of people, they are therefore now valuable. And what people are doing a lot more is, is saying, rather than employ people, let's have at arm's length an ecosystem where I can bring in someone with a skill or a speciality or influence marketing someone with clout and a network. And that's how I market my events. I get a speaker who isn't just good at what they do, a speaker who's good at what they do and has a great network because then they can help broadcast and propagate that we're doing it. So that's kind of the new way of thinking or newer way of thinking. And that's where people are spending money effectively, I think, at the moment. And weirdly, weirdly, it's actually just an extension of what people have always done, which is just networking. Mm. Yep. It's just networking. It really it? It's is. It's a different type of networking. Yeah. And, it, you know, if you, go, if you go and hang out at the Institute of Directors on an evening with all networking, you'll meet someone and they represent a network. It's just slower in the past. Yes. Whereas nowadays, if you, if you get on with someone in a direct message, then they see your post and like it. Within minutes, a bunch of their network has been sent your post by the platform and now you're really winning because... Yeah. You know, in the 20,000 followers, they've got 316 actually quite like your things. And, yeah. and it's just you move faster. It's very exciting. 
Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I get fascinated by this stuff. I've got to talk about more about LinkedIn because sure. um, it's changing so fast. You're really going all in on LinkedIn at the moment and you're doing some great stuff. I, you know, you're popping up in my feed all the time. Good. <laughs> very, very intriguing. It is, I mean, LinkedIn are kind of trying to position themselves as much more than just a boring business network. They're pushing video heavily. They've just released this live video thing, which I know you're a little bit upset Thanks. about. Thanks, bringing um, that up. So, <laughs> so they've handed the, the keys to live yes. out to a certain a beta group of testing. People. Those that know the right people, yeah. yeah right. Apparently you're not in that group. No, so apparently not. That. Thanks sorry for also rubbing that, that in. Um, but what, what do you think it is about LinkedIn that's, that's now made it so great? This is a, it sounds like I'm being this oracle, but this is a moment that will never happen again. Because the difference between LinkedIn and say Musical.ly, what was Musical.ly took off because it was the platform that took off in the same, in the opposite way to Vero last year just didn't take off. Um, the difference here is that LinkedIn has been around since what, 2007 and everyone's on it. So it's been a sleeping giant. So you'll never get again unless it happens under the radar over a long time, unless maybe Skype converts eventually to a social platform. You'll end, you know, you've got, 600 odd million people who didn't really use it that much other than for recruitment and you know online cv and like it was just a rolodex it online. was it was completely in my view virtually useless yeah and, and 98 percent of people still feel that, that still it's the puzzle linkedin look for most people but the difference is that you've got the best way to look at it i think is that you've got a captive audience you've got those people filling the stadium or filling the theater and there's a spotlight on a stage now which represents the fact you can really post good content they flick the switch on video in 2017 and you can go and stand in the spotlight and they're actually paying attention on facebook you can do the same thing but no one's listening you have to really work at it and so it's the combination of volume is already there every person you'll ever do business with is there the mindset is more businessy, so it's like a, got a, wit, a winning lottery ticket and organic traffic is outrageous at the moment. Yeah. It's definitely dying down a little bit. I, I started posting on LinkedIn in March last year, so it's not been long. But That's not long, is no, it? No, not actually? at all. But I'd learned, I'd learned my craft, I believe, in community building on Facebook and Instagram. So I'd kind of been doing that for a while. So I did get a good start with it, but without question, the organic is insane still. And, you know, gone on, the, gone on the days possibly where every post just caught a light, but because there's a lot more people using up the bandwidth, but the reality is that you get huge engagement. And the stats are amazing because of all of the users, half of them check in once a month at least, yeah. which, rep which means a good portion of them check in more than that. And my favorite stat, I suppose, is that on Facebook, there's, I think it's two and a half billion pieces of content a week-ish. Um, and obviously they've got more, uh, more users, users yeah. but it's not a million miles off. On LinkedIn, it's something like a million a week. Mm -hmm. So your slice of the pie is insane. Yeah. And I know for a fact that in a few years time, I'll be saying I told you so to people who are really fighting. You know, go, yeah. we said this earlier, right? Go build a YouTube channel right now. You know, it's not as easy as it yeah, used it, to be. It, it, you can't get traction. It's always it's really hard. Yeah. And I just think... People are like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try it and that. And people are like, oh, maybe I'm, I'm fine. And, and it's funny when you engage with some social media agencies, like we do everything we do, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's like, but how can you be credible and not cover LinkedIn right now? Yeah. And it's because it's so under the radar. 
But yeah, with live. And people man. don't understand it properly yet. No, but but you know, it, it's this is a funny thing because whilst every platform has idiosyncrasies, it's the same stuff every time of sure put out good content, but spend time engaging with people. If if you want to get something from someone, you have to put out first. And without question on all of the platforms, the the number one skill is to spend time with your community and engage with them and actually if they dare show up for you, then you should validate it by writing a comment back or thanking them or something like that. And, you know, that's very effective in LinkedIn. With Facebook, you know, you can have, a, you can have your own group, you've got your own page. You can have a company page on LinkedIn, but Facebook is, is it feels more like a, a destination when you hit somebody's page. You know, yes. You can access the videos, you can access the photos. LinkedIn don't quite seem to nail that in the same sort of way. When, when you sort of, build up your community how do you retain that community and how does that work for you so the tip of the iceberg on both platforms but if you use linkedin as an example is um the engagements and the comments underneath your post if you think of your post of content as your piece of gravity and which brings people in when they like and comment that's when you start the process of working on your community the community work starts there the problem is a lot of people don't do anything else they write thanks, mate, for the client for the for the content. Uh, sorry, for the comment, which doesn't get you anywhere. What you need to be doing is giving something meaningful back because it validates their decision to engage. But underneath the surface, real community work is taking it to the DMs, as it's known. So you then send them a message. And and it was a few months, it was six months ago, that uh, LinkedIn flicked the switch on voice message within direct messaging. So just like Facebook, just like WhatsApp or, or Instagram, you can voice message people and now you can't miss and i've got some corporates i did not know you could yeah do that. this is a, like no one uses it but if you want to if you're going to go cold to someone it is better than sending text using voice because again we're back to this thing of human curiosity right if i send someone a voice message you know when we connect with them if i send them a voice message they have to listen to it when it's text they can glance and they know what it's been. You see within a second whether or not it's spam or like what the guy wants or something like that. Um, and you don't have to respond. But without question, they have to listen to it because you can't see that triangle play button and the little line. Knowing it's not a bot and someone's decided to speak to you, the level of uniqueness is off the charts because no one does DMs anyway yeah. in LinkedIn. And so... Of the portion of people who is basically no one doing that, there's a very small minority actually use voice messages. So almost every single time without question, the response I get is a voice, but sometimes text as well, saying, wow, I didn't realize you could do voice. <laughs> what a lovely thing. And I've had so many people saying things like, it's really nice to know your voice. Wow, this is how connecting should be done. And it's they're connecting on a business level as well. You can't miss right now if you do it that way. And so I've got some corporates one I worked with recently who, who's in law and they're using voice on LinkedIn messages to connect with other law firms to start the process of selling to them. And it's so positively disruptive that this is this we're talking about. This is the bleeding edge. This is the stuff that works because human curiosity is so powerful. And that's where good selling is, I think. And obviously, they're not trying to pitch them straight away. It's just a warm up. How are you doing? Thanks for accepting the connection request. I, had a, I was interested in that thing you put in your profile. I love the piece of content you put out. Just want to see how you're doing. And they can't, it's so warm, people want to respond to that. So that's, that's really where the winning is at the moment. And there's where your community is. 
I know what I'm doing tomorrow morning. There you go. But, 100%. But do you know what the difference is? Is that yeah. this is the hack against this problem of people um, crashing into lampposts on their phones like this. Yes. So I'll walk back from the school run in the morning and I can drop 10, 15 voice messages so much faster than tapping away. I've got big so hands. True, isn't you know, it? So I can just press and hold and just talk. And then you've got tonality, you've got um, intent, you've got so much more in, in your voice, the dynamics are there, which you cannot do in text. Yeah. And just makes a bit more sense. And that's, that's your entry point nowadays to uh, a great start to a relationship with someone, I believe. One of the, uh, the great tools that we use, which I think is just fantastic, is where you, you just send a, a video message as well. Yeah. So it, someone actually did it to me uh, when they were selling me on something, and I just thought, this is ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the best way, rather than just, rather than sending anything cold, don't send something cold. I mean, that probably does work, but it's about, you're, you're having that sales conversation, you've already engaged that person. Then you, you know, use an app like Loom or something like that, and say, um, I just like to record you this message. Um, just following a conversation, like, it just occurred to me that value, 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 yeah. value, value. Uh, oh, and I just share my screen with you a minute. So I was looking at your website, mm. and, you know, X, Y, Z. And I just thought, you know, if you ever do anything, you should definitely talk to this person and yeah. that person. You know, just kind of, and then they go, wow, this guy is just feel special. really helpful. I mean, in a world where you are, you know, you're just a number in a list that a bot is spamming. I mean, I, it's funny. It's like you've been in my inbox. I literally had one the other day. And there's a woman from the States who do, does repurposing of content, of pillar content, like my Monday yeah. live Q&A. And... She hurt like the the kind of the first slide before you press play was the loom screen with her in the corner and the loom screen. She did it carefully so it was my website. So like it's so personalised. It is absolutely the right way to do it. And the worst is people who who want you to do all the work and so they're approaching with hi or what is it your business does and you think oh, are God, you serious really? on LinkedIn? Couldn't uh, you have spent joke. seven seconds and read the profile? So so in a world where everyone's trying to sell. You got to rise above, uh, like the ones who want to cut all those corners, and just put a little bit of effort in because you get so much more in return. If you're willing to be patient and put the effort into doing fifty of those a day, you can't miss because people will feel so loved by it; they will be intrigued, and that's enough to get that receptivity going. And, and the rest is downhill. That's the hard bit: is getting the trust from the human first, isn't it? It is all about trust, isn't it? I mean, that's that's kind of. People need to spend a lot of time with you online to build any level of trust without yeah. physically meeting you in person. Yeah. And it's weird how when you're in a networking event and you meet someone face to face, if you get on with them, it's instant, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and you see them out. Obviously, social takes a bit longer to get going. But here's the other thing about uh, building community on social is uh, the way I've described it in the past is you have to come down from your throne and go to other people's content as well. So when you show up on other people's pieces of content in other conversations and it sounds like it's so far removed from someone coming in your direction to buy something, but you go to someone else's content, comment, where there's another conversation and show up there, mm-hmm. then you're being part of the community. Yeah. So, so I, I have this thing called the list, which is every third day of the week, I do a list of uh, 20 people who I know are in my kind of ecosystem, who have good networks and so on. I, show, I, I just tick it off each day and I show up for pieces of content from them just so I don't forget them. Then the next day I have the second list and so on. So I have three lists every third day it rotates. And then I kind of, I get around everyone twice in a week in a way. And I just, it's a way to make sure I'm keeping myself on their radar as well. Because yeah. you drop it off it quick yeah, if you don't show true. up. Yeah, It's interesting, I hadn't thought about that. But of course, you know, it's no good just scrolling down your feed and just kind of liking anything that comes along. Because actually there can be individuals that 
are important to you and others that aren't maybe as important. Yeah, so. and this is the other side of, of building a community is you have to be intentional about your connections. Mm. Uh, a lot of people just like, they click accept to any yeah. uh, request. Uh, what you need to be thinking is that you need to sure uh, connect with people who might be a customer, but also connect with people who have a strong network and who are active. Yeah. Because if they show up for you, for instance, on your content, then a portion of their their community will then see your stuff. And within that might be someone who could buy something. Yeah. So they are the way you distribute your content by being tight with a good network. And the people who are really, really winning on LinkedIn, like epic levels, have a strong network of good networkers yeah. and, and those kind of influences show up for them. So a lot, it sounds, it sounds crazy and it sounds shallow, but the, if you think about on, on the offline world, if you want your friends to show up for you, you need to put out across time. It's an indefinite thing. And it's the same here. You know, there are little WhatsApp groups and things like this. And you just got your like-minded individuals. Um, last month, I was in San Francisco for my event. And then we all flew over to Vegas to uh, help out one of our friends who was shooting a film there. So we were all just hanging out. And it validated the fact that we're this bunch of influencers on LinkedIn. We'd all met through LinkedIn. And we were, you know sharing a room together in, in Vegas. It's kind of weird. And that all all starts with a little bit more than a thumb up or a like, or if someone's bothered to write a comment, it's actually going deeper than that. Yeah. There's real, real community. You're, you're basically taking it online to offline. You're actually creating a proper community. I find the people that I get most engagement from on LinkedIn are people actually I physically met in person. Totally right. Yeah, it's, that's the reality of it. Listen, my, my friend Anne McAfee, who's over in, the, in Australia, uh, she founded LinkedIn Local, which has done mm -hmm. this movement. They've had like a thousand events in the last two years or so. And all over the world, it's people saying, we're a LinkedIn bubble of friends or, or community. Let's, because we're all in, you know, we're all in Washington, let's have a local event. So it's a really good idea. And you just can't beat the interface when it's offline. And I think that's why networking events are still really valid. Um, and that solidifies the community really well. That's why my events are all over the place to make sure I capitalize on that. It gives me an opportunity to go and visit them as well. Now, have you discovered the, um, the LinkedIn button where you can turn on location searching? Yes. And you yes. can connect with anybody else that's in the really room. Really good, isn't that's it? That's clever, yeah. isn't it? We do that on all of our events. We'll say, you know, so everyone flick on the on location. I think you have to have Bluetooth or something yeah. as well. And you, um, yeah, it's just a really good idea because then everyone in the room connects with each other. See, I don't take business cards to events now. I haven't done it for a while because it's 2019. It's like, yeah. well, we're only going to use the card to find you on LinkedIn yeah. anyway. Let's Throw just it in do the bin. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, like, I'm not interested. And there's something amazing about that moment where you huddle shoulder to shoulder and you, you like spell your name that go on let's see and oh hang on you're a second connection who do we have in common and like the interfacing there is so much better than well thanks for your card and that's the end yeah. of it that awkwardness disappears because you're instantly a bit more social so i do like that approach and it people are like yeah why don't we do it this way instead it's quite nice and then of course they're checking your content out so it's always a win as well that is a win <laughs> definitely like we've talked a lot about LinkedIn. That is really, really fascinating. I think, you know, I'm going to have to tap you up after this to That's get even fine. more insights into that, you know. Um, but tell me about Entrepreneur Business Live and, and what that's all about. Yes. Yeah, so um, I had been to uh, a networking event. It was probably a year and almost two years ago. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is terrible. The speakers are awful. They're not presenting right. And they, half of them were talking rubbish anyway. And I remember thinking, like, why am I here? And I, there's a number of things I wanted. Like, I wanted to do more speaking than I already was, because that would make me better at that. 
But also, like, I was like, why am I complaining about an event that's no good? Go build your own then. I also knew I was really good at building communities on Facebook. Uh, my group on Facebook called the Entrepreneur Business Group is like 4,000 people now. And I was doing, you know, I was thinking about moving into LinkedIn anyway. And I thought, what should a good event look like? And I thought, let's hack at this. Because the problem is, remember, 10 years back, I was, I was a, a head of sales at an events company. So I was selling tickets in corporate. The problem is building an event, then hoping people are going to go or telling them to go doesn't work as well as building a community and then giving them an event. So that's why I did it differently. And so the point of Entrepreneur Business Live is to say, right, if we're building this community of people, say on LinkedIn, for example, um, and they have common interests and they're located in different places around the world, let's create events in those locations on, against interests they're into. So the entrepreneur's culture in general is a, is a blossoming one. You can talk about content creation through to social selling, for example. So let's make it simple. Two hours, three speakers at the front of it, so people learn something, and then networking afterwards. But then I think it's possibly because I'm a dad and also because, you know, when you, as you get older, you kind of get a bit more soul. And I'm just thinking, I, I was like, it's almost bordering unethical to be able to leverage so much attention and then not use it to do good beyond the people in the room. So the idea came about, um, it was in May uh, last year, and I decided I would help people on three levels. So the short version is it helps people in the room because they're learning from the speakers. It helps people around the world because we stream it on a live stream. So you've got people all over the world watching it, but it also helps um, people are unfortunate because every event is aligned with a charity partner. So £10 of every single ticket, for instance, from our London event this evening, goes to a charity partner. And it's nice because now we get stories about how we've helped certain people doing certain things, and again, all over the world. So it's a really nice thing. We're adding a lot more depth to networking. But it, the, the thing that confirmed for me that, because the first event was July last year, um, the thing that confirmed that the event was really going in the direction I wanted it was in, in January when we had our first overseas event in New York. And we had 40-odd people in the room. And rather than the awkward, hi, my name's Richard, here's my business card, handshake kind of introduction, literally within, I would say, without maybe five or six people, pretty much everyone walking in that room knew each other, knew from online, and they were hugging like it was this reunion. And what happened is we created this community. I hadn't created it, I was part of a community, but we'd given them an event and people were flying in from all over. People, some guy took a bus down from Pittsburgh overnight to be there. And people were coming from all over, flying past other networking events, but going to this one because that's where all their buddies are online. So what I had was those influencers who are the pinnacle of their game in, in that case, content creation for that set of people. And they were speaking. And uh, it's just a really nice vibe to it. So we've got a lot more depth there. And it seems to be, you know, it caught a light. You know, there was a lot of, there's a lot of love in the room because of the charity work. And we have the charity partners show up, accept the money and talk about what they're going to do. And obviously sponsors come in and things like that as well. But you've got now people who are saying, you know, the, the validator for me was saying things like, Where, where's the next one going to be? Or when are you doing one in LA? Or can I help host one? And then since then, I mean, three of the 18, I think, we've done um, have been hosted by people other than me. So that's really nice. And people are like, can I, can I run one for you? So I'm trying to make this movement that's way bigger than me, 
where sure, we're there for entrepreneurs and sure, we're there to help educate them, but leveraging that great attention and momentum online because um, LinkedIn is helpful for doing that and, um, you know, and getting money in good places as well. So I'm, I'm pleased with how it's evolving. It's very young. It's only a year old. I was about to say, it's only a year old and you've already it's done year old multiple today. events. That's it, yeah. Uh, and you're having your first birthday yeah, party first today. Birthday so happy Back birthday. Back home in London, exactly. So we're going to do the London one. We had Chicago last week, but this is the kind of the homecoming. So I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. I don't know how many people are going to wilt and not go because it's boiling hot, but we'll have yeah. to see how we go. So I'm looking, <laughs> yeah. looking forward to, uh, there's a lot more development um, this year, uh, and we've had we've had Melbourne already, but we're gonna have our first Asian one back end of the year, and just lots of them popping up. I'm excited about it. That sounds really good. That sounds really good. And so, when people come, you, you basically give talks. You know, you give guidance. Yeah. Sort of, you know, just networking. It's just a generally a great event. Yeah. To be at, yeah. But it's like mini TED talks. They're like yeah. ten to twelve minutes. Three of them with practice, with different things, or, or experiment with different things. But three TED talks, essentially short ones very practical value laden. So you have people showing up who are really good at what they do saying, instead of, oh, this is my sob story, they'll say things like, here are the five steps that I've taken to achieve this. Because what I want is for those entrepreneurs watching live and being in the room to be able to walk out the room and say, I can do that thing now and implement it straight away. Real practical value because I'm I'm a marketer now, as well as a salesperson, so I'm mapping back from people walking out of there going, wow, I need to tell people about this. And again, there's the validator of, you check your phone at the end of the night and it's like brimming over with Instagram stories, tagging it and all this kind of stuff. And people talking about all the thing, wins they've had and the little videos they've shot with people they knew who they finally got to meet in the networking part afterwards and things like that really matter, you know. That's really f- refreshing to hear as well, because I just, have been to so many events where it's a thinly veiled yeah. sort of sales pitch, basically. Yep. And I mean, I went to one the other day and it just frustrated me so much because it was pitched in a certain way. It was mm-hmm. actually a, a sort of LinkedIn thing. And it felt like, you know, this is actually going to be decent, you know, mm-hmm. and it's long enough for it to be, yeah. to have value in there. And it was just sell, sell, sell Same right from the stuff, beginning, yeah. you know, and actually there was nothing that came out of it that I didn't already know. It was real superficial stuff. But, but you know, the problem is we're all used to being sold at and we're used to being gamed. We know what it feels like and it's a big turn off. And so the way to sell effectively in those things is be really good. And then what happens is, again, human curiosity takes over and they're like, I want to check this person out. Plus, if you speak at an event, you become a bit of a mini celebrity for the day. And the point is that then, then that that audience has the impetus to go and check you out and that's where, where it gets interesting. So that's where your sales come from, really. It's all about the authority, isn't it? Having the authority, the social proof, which brings me on to wanting to talk about so the work you do with businesses. So you're working with uh, different sizes of businesses. Yes. You're working with, with big ones and very small ones. Yes, that's right. Startups, you know, well-established companies. Do you find that there are some sort of recurring themes that you see in terms of the way they're doing their, their sales and the processes they have in place? I do. And I think from startup to, um, to corporate, it's no different because you've got people reacting in an, in, an, in an intuitive or instinctive way. And also sometimes adding this weird flavor of, oh, this is a business call, so I should perhaps weird, you know, act in this strange way. Um, and the missing... The, the fundamentals of understanding what someone at the end of the phone who is cold, essentially, and doesn't really know you or isn't brought into you, really wants. And learning the art of earning the right to ask for something is, is the thing, the common theme throughout them all. 
everyone wants, especially startups, want to talk about their beautifully polished product. But the reality is no one cares about that. You don't buy the chip, the resolution and the memory in an iPhone. You're buying status. You buy an iPhone because it makes you look good. You don't buy a BlackBerry, even if it's superior tech, because people laugh at you. So you've got to think about why people actually buy things. And that is the thing that fundamentally tends to be missing with most people selling their startup or all the way up to a corporate. It's the common thing. And I tend to have precisely the same conversations no matter where I go, you know. Yeah, I bet. Because there's, there's the phrase, isn't there, that, you know, people don't buy the hammer, they buy the nail. But I think it goes further than that. They're not buying the nail, they're buying the picture hanging on their wall at the yes. end of the day. Well, I, I, they I want feel... that, you know, they don't, it's like in a restaurant, someone doesn't care how their food's made. They just mm. want to have the experience of having yes. a lovely meal. That's it. And, and I think Seth Godin, like the greatest marketing, like godfather of marketing, in my opinion, he, he said, you know, you, you don't buy the product. The product is the souvenir of the experience itself. And you're right. I mean, you even go further than the picture on the wall. You're not buying the, uh, the hammer, you're a nail. You're buying the feeling you get when you see the picture of your loved ones on the wall. And, and yeah, I, I just think that's a really important point. You need to understand this concept of wins or real benefits to people, which is mostly revolving around looking and feeling good. And that... No matter how corporate you are, as a buyer, you're a human. And what supersedes saving time, making money, saving money and so on is I'm going to look good in front of peers, feeling good to myself, to my family, whatever. That's really how people are built. We're kind of shallow as yeah. humans. And that, that's what you've got to, you know, you've got to, I suppose you've got to make that point, but you can't do it in a big fat claim way because no one believes you. So then you associate that claim that you can help them on that level with social proof with the fact that you've done it for their friend or someone they know and respect for example and that's what gets you the buy-in so it's it's more nuanced but it doesn't have to be difficult and i think most people talk a lot about what they do and how it works because that's their comfort zone because they understand it but the person at the end of the phone is flatlining and the thing is, none of us, when we receive a cold call on the phone, want to hear about what they do or what they're offering. We want the magic. We want the end result. And, and that's what people need to start with. Serve the dessert first, basically. That's really interesting because I think that's something that, that I had to really get through my brain. Because when I founded Small Films, it was a case of when I'm selling to people, I'm selling, you know, we're going to make this fantastic video for you. And it's going to look this way and it's going to be that. And it's going to be the other and if, we, if I went into a sales meeting with somebody and they'd say, oh, we want a video. Mm. Okay, great. Okay, how long do you want it? How, do you want this? Mm. And actually, the question I should have been asking was, why do you want a video? Yeah. Because actually, it's not about the video for them. It's about the results the video is going to get. And actually, when you drill down into it, there's always something there. So it will always be, you know, off, quite often it's simply, we need more sales or we yeah. need more leads. Or we need to get our brand out there more. Or our competitor is doing this stuff and, you know, they're really kind of in the spotlight at the moment. Or or people don't understand us in the right way yeah. anymore. You know, there's always some sort of underlying yeah. problem that video can solve that. But, of course, there are other solutions that aren't video that can solve that it, as well. It complements you know. other solutions. And yeah. video is simply the device. Yes, exactly. Done well, it really helps. Yeah. But video is just the device. You're yeah. totally right. And that I think that's what a lot of people miss. They don't look far enough over and you have to convey that bit because then people are like, ah, okay, well, I want that. And it's funny because there's what happens is people don't care about the detail. Like, you know, people buy a Tesla because they want to be that much closer to Elon Musk and it's cool right now and they want to go super fast in their car. They don't care how it works or 
you know, it does, this stuff doesn't, this kind of thing doesn't matter to them unless they're, I think the science says it's like 8% of people who genuinely care about the tech and would know more than the actual engineer that's bought it. Those kind of people don't buy the iPhone, for example, and do buy a BlackBerry because they prefer the way the emails are encrypted on it and something like that. But they're a very small minority. I'd say I'm surprised it's even as high as 8%. I'd imagine it'd be even lower, but and it probably for, depends on the type of product. It, and, indeed. You know. Well, I think, I think it's um, um, fluffed up that number by the fact that a, corporate, uh, a business will buy a load of them and give them to... My friend is an accountant who has a BlackBerry, but it, he didn't buy it. He was given it by his company, you see. Yeah. So, but they were sold. If you think about it, it's the same principle. They were sold on, you'll save a load of money and your guys connected and we have a great kind of group price if all of your team buy blackberry and they're like box tick that does it for me yeah because i'm not buying this on a i want to look good emotionally thing i'm buying it on a how do does a, how do i as the person in charge of operations save money for my, my company. exactly it's a functional decision precisely yeah. yeah exactly so 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 obviously trying to get people to understand that they are selling not this product but actually the end result that it's yes. going to give do you, do you also find that there's just simple techniques that, that people miss when they're actually conducting sales conversations the way they're approaching people that sort of thing yeah i think i think there's this keenness to chat and talk to people and i think what needs to be done is you you obviously get out the door the fact that there's this great win aligned with a peer or someone they might know maybe some anecdote or something like that but you, what you do need to do is is get engaging with them because um the, the, the trust comes from them feeling good. And if someone feels good because they're talking about themselves, they will anchor that to you as a feeling. So you've got to get that person talking, essentially. Um, and therein comes the importance of listening a lot. And, and that is also a, a universal issue. A lot of people just don't listen enough. There's hearing that someone's talking, then there's really listening. What are they really saying? And there's no real hack on that. It's just spending a lot of time with people. And it's, it's funny because you get some companies where all they do all day long is pitch. And you get other ones where they maybe make, it's funny where they say things like, oh, I've got three calls scheduled today. It's like, like you're not doing that much. And those that spend a lot of the time on the phone get really, really good at it because they're spending time on the pitch in, engrossed with people. And it's the same as networking. If you go to a networking event every week, you get really good at networking. You get good at picking up the subtleties of how someone's interacting with you. If you go once a quarter, you're just not as as you're not as good. You know. What I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a craft, isn't it? You it have really to hone is. it. Come take come takes practice. Yeah. You know, you have to refine what you're doing. You have to learn yeah. from it. It's like anything, really. But there's a lot of feel, and that's the hard bit uh, to to coach. You can you can go really deep into the dark arts of sales and psychology and stuff like that. But a lot of it's good feel. Like people say, oh, it's easy to ride a bike, even if you haven't for twenty years. That's true. But really, ride a bike well and like feel how your bike's working requires you to ride it a lot, you know? Yeah, it's like I'm not going to jump on a BMX and start doing, you know, jumps and tricks, let's no, be honest, exactly. you know. And Especially in this heat. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what, what, so, um, just to sort of, uh, you know, I think we'll kind of, we'll, we'll wind this up, we'll wind this up now, um, but um, for you, since, you know, you've been in sales for a very long time, what for you has been the big change that has happened in terms of the way people buy the way the, the effective ways to sell i think people have as buyers they know that they they are in much more control now um in the or even though now you still have to be made aware that something exists people are online that much more so they're it's not just their ability to consume things but the fact that they do just 
you know, naturally consume more knowledge and, uh, and awareness of things that are out there means that they're A, more conditioned against bad sales and bad marketing, and B, they're more aware of other stuff that's out there. So you can't just be the person that is picked up by the buyer. You have to recognize that there's going to be a lot of other people selling the same kind of thing. So you just have to be good. And I think that if you are aware that building yourself a bit of a brand and a community and, and having a voice that isn't just yours, but is you know, propagated by people around you. You can move to a place where people kind of know you as a bit of a minor celebrity for your thing. And that warming up of an audience can take a very long time, up to years sometimes, to keep to get people to a place of trust and want to buy from you. But if you can focus on doing it that way, you'll appeal more to a buyer nowadays. And the reason really why is because buyers nowadays are bombarded so much more that they are almost immune or don't even hear half the stuff that's been thrown at them. In the part when I was uh, very young, there were four channels on telly, you know, and there was a newspaper and it's the page you happen to be looking at. And if you looked in that area, you would see that advert. There's ads everywhere, but not, not, nothing like we have now. I think people filter out so much. And of course, they're sent certain things based on what they think and what they feel. So we just, we've got all the tools we need. We've got to understand that the longer play is important because people as buyers know they can be warmed up um, or know that they want to be warmed up and take their time and really be in control, if that makes sense. That does make a lot of sense, actually. Um, it kind of leads me on to my next question, which I think you've almost slightly answered this in part, but if you're going to give one piece of advice to brands to businesses for them to get an edge in today's world which is largely you know, it's a digital world yeah what would be your one sort of piece of advice this is that? actually really easy uh, and it's and it's it revolves on this idea of kind of finding your voice and honing what your philosophy is and it's that you really have to just start and do it and be cool with screwing up a lot and by screwing up all it means is like people didn't see the post that much um the reason is it's literally the same as when i was five working out what if I was a good footballer or not rather than sitting on the sidelines reading books on it and thinking I ran I wonder if I'll be a good winger or a good goalie I just got on the pitch a bit I was like don't ever put me in goal again then so I was no good I wasn't a good striker but I was quick and good on my right foot so I was a right winger and I evolved to that by being on the pitch it's precisely the same here do it lots and what happens is then you hear yourself more you realize what works and what doesn't and You've got practice because you can listen to a bunch of people who do precisely what you do, but it won't work necessarily because it has to be, there has to be this awareness that the audience you'll kind of glean from all of the users out there will mostly like your stuff because they like you. And there's these very small subtleties and nuances that make up George and the way you deliver stuff that makes them go, oh, I really like this guy. And there's someone maybe more illustrious or more capable next to you, but they prefer you just because there's something innate. And I think you can only do that by being on the pitch lots doing it. And, and, and that's how you get people sticking to you rather than trying to work it all out and then nail it first time. It just doesn't work. I think that's a fantastic bit of advice. There's a phrase that um, I had a, my mentor um, says a lot, which is, prolific beats perfect yes it does and that is a it's a hard one to to follow because sometimes you know if you're a perfectionist like me you 
God, I'm just getting obsessed about, oh, I can't, you know, this, my delivery here is not quite right, or I'm not sure if what I'm saying is exactly right, but sometimes you just have to get it out there and just but here's go the thing, for it. But here's the thing, in 36 to 48 hours, your post is dead. Yeah. So that world-class Hollywood piece of content that you love is dead, and half the audience didn't think that because they don't see the world with your worldview. They're like, no, oh, that's okay. And I can put my heart and soul into this, but they just don't care that much. And so it's a really good point, and I think to use again Seth Godin's words you've got to ship it that's the point and and you need a fair volume you know because the game requires you tiring though it is to show up every day and um, if you do an amazing piece of content and it's everyone's gonna love it and you go viral and then there's nothing for two weeks well you're still face down dead in the water it's time to do the next thing so it has to be this kind of it's hard work it's this conveyor belt of content but it's as I said before, it's exhilarating because you get to indulge in being the best version of you online and people really appreciate it and it's a nice way of selling to people. Love it. Just got to get the, get your head down and just do the work, really, yeah, isn't it? No, just it's schedule just, that time in, just yeah, make sure you do it. That's yeah. it. Suck it up and do it. Yeah. Let's just get on with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. So I've got a little game I'd love okay. to play with you, if that's all right, that's before fine. we uh, finish the day. So the game is called Two Truths, One Lie. Okay. So I've got three statements here. Right. Uh, it's three facts, basically. Okay. Uh, one of them is a complete lie. Okay. So I want to see if you can guess which one is the lie. Okay, fine. You up for that? Yes, go for it. Cool. Okay. So I'll just read them, all three of them, and, okay. then, and then you can try and two sort of work true, it out. Two true, one's wrong. Okay. Yeah, two true, one wrong. Okay. The first one is, only 18% of salespeople say that selling is much harder today than it was five years ago. Okay. Okay. Uh, the second one is, at the start of 2018... Massive 99.9% of the 5.7 million businesses in the UK were SMEs. And then the final one is, in London, in 2018, there were over, well, there were 1,563 businesses per 10,000 residents in the city. I think the last one's true. I get the feeling the second one's false, though. Second one was 99.9% of the uh, 5.7 billion million businesses in the UK in last year were SMEs. Yes. That's actually true. Is it? Okay. Yes, that's true. So is the first one false? So the first one's false. So actually, so the fact 18% of salespeople say selling is much harder today than it was five years ago. Actually, 61% of salespeople say it's much harder today than it was really? five years ago. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Which I think is... Very telling, actually. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of other ways to market now. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's interesting, yeah. I that's think nice. these facts, these statistics kind of tie in because, to be honest with you, we're living in a massive startup mm. world at the moment. I mean, Absolutely. it's phenomenal. You know, you look at WeWorks of the world where you've got gazillions of businesses mm. starting up. It's so easy to start a business right yes. now. The fact that 99.9% .9 of all businesses basically are, are small to medium-sized yeah. business I think speaks to the fact that lots of people are starting up. Everyone's trying to sell. Everyone's trying to sell. Totally right. You hinted yeah. on it before. People are being bombarded all the time. Yeah. So that's all the more reason why social yeah. selling yeah. is critical. It's a big deal. But that just goes that proves the point that everyone's at it. So you have to be great at what you do, without being overly perfectionist. Yeah. So the way to be great at what you do to get through all of that noise is to massively just be you. And, and that sounds really cute, but what it means is just don't posture anything because they'll, no matter how weird or off the wall you are, there'll be a bunch of people who quite like you and are quite into you and that's all you need, you know.
That's that works for me. That's an interesting stat. <laughs> it's good. Richard, it's been awesome having you down here. Cheers. I really appreciate it. Thank I hope you. you have um, a really great time this evening at your event. Thank you. Uh, fantastic that it's a year on and yes. uh, many more years to follow, hopefully. Thanks so much. Cheers. Cheers. Real pleasure. Cheers. Right. Take Cheers. care. Thank you. One, two, three. Listen. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you're looking for help with your sales, then do give Richard a shout. You can find all the information you'll need in the show notes and head over to YouTube to watch the video of this episode. See you next time on The Big Chat with me, George Hughes.